Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, Holly. Hey, Dave. Welcome to the What Difference Does It Make podcast. How are you? I am so happy that you remembered to say what difference does it make podcast. We seem to always forget that. And that's, that's but that's where we are. We're at, it's kind of important, isn't it? It, it kind of is. It's kind of a thing. We've got a good episode for you. We have a fun episode. Hopefully our listeners remember Jules Shear. Yeah, this is this is one that might might test your 80s knowledge. Jules, what it still is, is a great songwriter. First of all, he has a, an album out called Slower that just came out. But you probably know him as a, a songwriter. Go ahead, Holly. What List a few of your favorites. Oh, well, he wrote All Through the Night, which Cyndi Lauper recorded. And the Bangle song, If She Knew What She Wants. One of my favorites from Different Light. Yes. And another one from one of my favorite artists, Alison Moyer, Whispering Your Name. Yeah. It's a good one. He's written some great 80s songs, and um, he continues to put out new music, and so we're going to get into a talk with him right now. So welcome, Jules Shear. Nice hey, to see you. Hey, how are you guys doing? Good. good. How are you? Sorry for the confusion. I've never, I've never done this before. <gasps> oh, really? We're your first Zoom. Yeah, uh, I tried one with a guy from my management company, and- since it worked, I, would, I thought, okay, we'll be all right. But I don't, I don't have any idea whether we'll be all right or not. You tell me. <laughs> You're doing great. Anyway, so welcome. Thank you for, for joining us. Uh, yeah, so you're in Woodstock, correct? I am in Woodstock, yeah. It's, it's kind of nice. When I actually, went, come Thanksgiving, I always think of, uh, of Big Pink and Last Waltz and the band. How, are you close to that area? Have you, have you done a tour of uh, Big Pink? Uh, no, I've never been to Big Pink, actually. I've never been there. Originally, I came here because Todd Rundgren was going to produce my record. When I was going to make this record with Todd, I came I came up to Woodstock to meet him. And that was the first time I was ever here. That was 19, I don't know, 93? Okay. Yeah, don't know. that sounds about right. <laughs> I'm asking you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, in 1983, yeah, so I came up here to meet Todd, and that was fine, and so we did the album and everything, and that was good, and after the album was done, I thought, I, I, maybe I want to live around here, <laughs> so Todd said, just stay in my guest house while you look, and then you'll be able to find someplace that, you, uh, that, that really works for you, so I thought, okay. Maybe I'll try that. So I did, and I found a place. I found a great place. That's that's when I first got into Woodstock. I was never here before, and I never would have come. I'm not really into the whole mythology thing that some people are into. Like, if you want to know about the big pink house or something, I don't know about it. <laughs> have you passed it's just by a it? Place to live. Oh. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful place to live. Yes. 
Okay. Have you passed by? Do you know where it is? I would imagine anyone in Woodstock would say, oh, yeah, Big Pink, you know, just go down the road to make a left and then you'll you'll see. It doesn't it doesn't appear to be exactly in Woodstock. It's outside of Woodstock, I believe. Okay. So you'd have to go there if you wanted to to see it. And I, and I, and I don't really care about seeing it. So there you go. <laughs> Dave, so, have you been there? No, I haven't. I, I oh, one day. Well, <laughs> well, so, okay. So Todd invited you to stay with him. So obviously you and Andy Partridge of XTC don't have the same story of, uh, of working with, uh, with Mr. Rundgren. Oh, I could tell you some stories. Oh, <laughs> please do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, well. <laughs> I won't tell you any stories. <laughs> I I wouldn't give up Todd. I'm not going to give up Todd. <laughs> okay, nah, no, that's nah, that's okay. fine. No, it's great. So you you love Todd, and you would. I mean, you know, does he still live in Woodstock? No, he lives. Um, he lives in Hawaii or something. I don't know. He left Woodstock. I know that. Very good, but uh, apparently there's other musicians in Woodstock, and uh, oh yeah, you can find a few of them here. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I guess so. That that leads to to your new album, Slower, which apparently it's all Woodstock musicians. Uh, yeah, apparently it is. I I didn't really think about it, but I, when I when I spoke to those people and they said um, that they could all do it, I thought, oh, I don't have to go outside of Woodstock. I can just get these guys and they'll do it all, all and it'll it'll be fine. And it was it was it was good. Uh, it was good using local people. I liked it. So who you? So who were some of the artists that you used, and did you just knock on their door and ask them? <laughs> yeah, I would have. There's no problem. The musicians are well. Sarah Lee played the bass. John Sebastian. Who who else was in this? Who else was responsible for this bush? That um, who who did it? Who I don't know. You guys don't. <laughs> I I don't. That's why I'm asking you. But even though the, this album feels intimate it feels like a 2020 record this is something that was created before we kind of uh, shut it down this year is that uh, is that accurate just before yeah that's right just before that's right we got it done just in time <laughs> but does it feel like listening back does this feel like a 2020 record uh, it feels like you were very introspective and, and just kind of more inside yourself as someone might be as they're trapped inside a house and can't tour and uh you yeah, know it could be well that's what i huh. thought before i realized it before i realized that you had recorded it before i thought yeah. it was appropriate yeah well it was only appropriate for me because i wrote some songs that seemed to be sort of i thought they would be really acoustic and i thought it would be really uh, nice you know not real rocking and all that stuff and then when i realized that was what i was doing i thought Maybe I should write them all to be like that because it would be weird to have a few of them that were sort of rocking. I didn't want to do that. So especially nowadays when I can do what I want and I don't have a record company over me saying, where's the single? Where's the single? Where's the single? So um, I just did it my way. I just did it all sort of acoustic -y. Is there a significance you to the, the title of the album, Slower? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. Because uh, <laughs> we all are. <laughs> yeah, I just am. I don't know about you. Mm -hmm. uh, a little slower. Yeah, that's right. That's that's all it is. <laughs> I feel like I led you on that one. There's more to it. <laughs> no, that's all there is. It, it's, it's in one of the songs, actually. It, it brings it up. Yeah, and so... It you talk about single. I guess I saw that Smart was the first single, whatever that is yeah. nowadays. It sounds like 
I, in my opinion, it sounds like a letter to yourself, but is that, is that something that you're like a motivate? Is that something to motivate you or what, what was the impetus for this, uh, this song? That song, I actually just, uh, I didn't really think of it as a single at the time. You know, I, I don't know if I thought of a single at all, but when I, uh, when I recorded it, I just thought, oh, that's kind of, that, that's a little more up tempo than the other ones, a little bit. <laughs> and, uh, I think um, the record company thought, "Okay, single. It's it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be up. It is up tempo. You know, it's only up tempo compared to the other songs, though. It's not really really that up tempo. It's not. So that's all there is to it. I don't know. You're smart just because you can be smart. I'm waiting for the answer. I confess. You're smart." Just because you can't be smart You're just completely different than the rest I'm afraid you're gonna do anything that you want to And I will be the one holding your hand Until I can't go anymore And you're dancing through the floor I don't know what your songwriting process is, but sometimes I know a lot of songwriters sit down at a desk and like, okay, it's songwriting time. I want to, I'm just going to, as an exercise, just write something and see if something comes out. I would write like maybe it'd be six lines, maybe it'd be 10 lines, something like that. And I would consider that to be the sort of the outline of what it was, the gist of what the song was going to be like. And then I would, uh, Take it, take that and try, try to turn it into a song and fill in the gaps between the lines that I had originally and make it, a, make it into a real song. I don't know. That's the process, I guess. Yeah. Are you a disciplined songwriter or do you, or is it just, uh, you know, waiting around for, uh, for inspiration? Oh, no. Uh, no, I'm, I'm more disciplined than that, I guess. <laughs> I was going to say, no, of course I'm not disciplined, but maybe I am compared to other people. I don't know. Yeah, I really do sit down and try to do it. That's right. It's not like a thing where I just wait around for something to come to me. No, I don't, I don't do that. And if I do it, so I'm really working on it and it's not really happening, it's not really good, then I try to finish it anyhow and make it, a, make it into a song regardless and then I just throw it out if I have to. That's no problem. Just throw it out. Yeah, I try to get it all done. About the songwriting process, or I don't know if it's really about the process, but you've written songs and our listeners, because we're an 80s podcast, our listeners will know a lot of your songs, your your songs and the songs that you've written that other artists have recorded, of which there are tons. Well, one question I'm curious about, totally, yeah. it's my random question. Yeah. Have you ever said no to an artist when they wanted to record one of your songs? Oh, you know, not when they wanted to record something. If anybody can record anything of mine they want to, that's fine with me. I don't care how they do it. I don't care what what the the way they do it. I mean, Cindy Lauper, when she recorded All Through the Night, that was my song, but it was done in a completely different way. It was done like, uh, you know, she, she did it completely different. It was all fine with me. I even sang background vocals on her version. It sounded really good to me. Everything sounded fine. It's really okay with me if somebody wants to do that. But it's the co-writing thing that's difficult for me. Mm. 
I can't really write with someone else. It's very difficult because I have these internal dialogues I have when I'm writing something where I go, that will go to that. It's so easy when I'm doing it by myself. If I'm doing it with somebody else, it's so difficult to explain stuff, and I don't like doing it. So I kind of got out of co-writing. I don't like to do it too much anymore. Is that yeah. from being in a band and other band members want to participate in, in in a song, or you know, they you 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 bring a song to someone and they're like, "Oh, this is great," but you know, they want to add something else, and you're like, oh, "No, no, no." <laughs> uh, no, I haven't had a problem with that really. I haven't really had a problem with that. They pr they pretty much uh, will leave, and, and I try to give people a lot of space to do what they want. And when I do that, it's really um, it turns out better. I think if somebody else has some interaction that makes the song different. It usually makes it. I, I usually like it. I don't know. Uh, that's different than that's different than what you were talking about with uh, co-writing. Co-writing from the beginning. That's that's more difficult. We're right in the middle of our talk with Jules Shear. You're listening to What Difference Does It Make, the podcast, and we'll be right back. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Welcome back to the What Difference Does It Make podcast and our interview with Jules Shear. Have you ever written a song? I mean, obviously you, you record most of your own songs, but have you ever written a song but envisioned somebody else singing it while you, as you were writing it or when you were done with it? Did you feel like it was not, not meant for somebody else, but that you could hear somebody else singing it? You know, I never really have. I, I don't know. I just write them and I just make them, they're just songs, you know, and, uh, and if somebody else takes it and then does it their own way. It's good. If it's good, it's, it's not when it's not good, but 
No, I don't think I really think about anybody else when I'm doing it. I just really think about myself. Yeah. People just adapt it. Was there someone, like a version of your song that surprised you, the, the arrangements, um, you know, where you're like, wow, I never envisioned it this way. And, uh, you know, like, wow, that that's so much better now. Cindy's version of the song, really, when Cindy Lauper did that song, that was really, that was uh, her version of it, you know, and that was really good, I thought. That's really the one that changed the most, I suppose, from beginning to where it went. Most of the time, it was um, people have done them pretty much the same tempo or something like that. Or, it's, uh, but they're fine. I feel free. Anybody should feel free about recording anything at a different tempo or a different uh, doing the song in a different way. If you want to do a reggae version of something, that's fine. Anything would be anything would be good with me. Yeah, I really don't. I really don't care about that stuff as long as I make my version first. But that wasn't what Cindy was going for. She was going for something completely different, and I think she did a really good job of it. Yeah. Was it that song that bought your your home in Woodstock? Oh man. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> do you know when you're writing it, how, how great it's going, whether another artist wants to record it? Do you know when you've hit upon something? No, I have no idea whether it's good or not. I don't I really even think about that stuff. I just do them, you know. I, no, I don't, I don't know. Sorry. There's an artist for you. <laughs> oh. I would love to talk about MTV Unplugged because this was kind of bringing in different artists and kind of artists working with each other and playing familiar songs and doing their own version of that. Was this something that you did like at clubs or, you know, like, you know, you would bring in other people and like, oh, this, this could be interesting for a, for a television show or what led to this? Oh, what led to it was I made a record that was totally guitar and vocal and the guitar was by um, Marty Wilson Piper, who plays oh. in the church. Mm -hmm. And Marty played guitar and I sang. And we did this album and that was the whole album. And then I thought, when it was going to come out, I thought, how is this going to be an album? How will we promote this record? And um, somebody suggested, well, why don't you just uh, do a TV show or something? So I thought, oh, maybe so. So I spoke to a guy who uh, had directed some TV shows, and I asked him what he thought about it. And he said, I think it sounds good, but why don't I just talk to some people about it? I said, go ahead, go ahead, and let me know. So he went to MTV, and MTV said, yeah, try one. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, well, we'll try one then. And, uh, and we did one with, maybe it was two guys from Squeeze. Squeeze, it was Squeeze. <laughs> Thank you. It was brilliant. I love <laughs> Huge fans of the show. I mean, Dil it was a brilliant. I, I thought it was a brilliant concept. We loved it. Wilford well, and Tilbrook, and yeah, Sid Straw was there, and Elliot Easton. Yeah, that's right. Very good. <laughs> we just oh, man. We just wa I okay. just watched it last night, so that's why it's fresh in my mind. Well, I really liked that show. I thought it went really well, and so did MTV. And MTV said, "Yeah, do the do this thing. Let's let's do it. Come on." So we did the four, first season, which was like I don't know. We did a dozen shows or something like that. And um, it was really good. We did them like that, where we had two artists on a show. And the concept was that we would um, take those artists and have them play together at some point. We would all play together if they wanted to, if they could. And then we would uh, have a TV show. And we tried that, and it worked. So we kept doing it for one season. And then MTV decided they wanted to do... It was Don Hanley's fault, actually. <laughs> 
Don Henley decided he wanted he would do MTV Unplugged, but he wanted to do it without any of this interaction between people. He wanted to do just him singing his songs, and he wanted to have a basically an orchestra in back of him, and he wanted to do it. He figured that would be unplugged enough, and uh, I said I didn't believe that was unplugged enough. There would be electric bass, there would be some other electric instruments. And I like to keep it unplugged. So I went and did the show, but I just, uh, all I did was say, here's Don Henley. <laughs> and that was my whole thing on that show. And I said, after it was over, I said, you know, if this is what you want to do with the show, just go ahead and do it, you know, but I don't want to, I'm not a, a guy who is a master of ceremonies. That's not my natural thing around me. And I don't really want to do that. So they said, okay, well, we'll do it ourselves. I said, okay, have a good time. And uh, that was that. So uh, that was the end of Unplugged. One season, one season I, I got to do it. And it was fun. I don't think I could tell you all the people who were on it. I don't know. You probably know better than <laughs> me. We did one season of it. Yeah. Some, I think Hollywood Say Crowded House might have been her favorite episode. Ah, Crowded House. Yeah. Oh, there were there were so many. Ner- <laughs> well, ner- for the first season. Yeah. I'm a little. It's a little. You know. <laughs> yeah. Muddy to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right. who, who was the first season and and who came after? But I read a story that that Don Henley that was spurred on by Joe Walsh wanting to do Desperado. Is that true? Un and unplugged uh, and Henley had an issue with that. <laughs> I don't know. That's between those guys. <laughs> don't get me involved you're, in their thing. You're very diplomatic. But that was one of my favorite shows, actually, with Joe. It was, uh, I had a good time with him. I said, let's do something together. That would be really fun. Yeah. And he said, yeah, let's do Cinnamon Girl. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I said, you got to be kidding. Really? Okay. <laughs> I know Cinnamon Girl. Come on, let's play it. Let's play it right now. And he said, "Okay, we'll play it right now." So we played the song. It sounded pretty good. So I thought, "Okay, Joe knows about this stuff. I'm just going to do it." So we did that song, and it, it turned out pretty good. I saw a clip of it. I, I thought it was great. Oh, you guys harmonize. I I watched it as yeah. well, and you're harmonizing really well with Joe Walsh. I'm like, well, this could be Walsh and <laughs> Sheer, the the dynamic duo. I, I mean, I wanted to hear more of this. They take it on the road. Yeah. No, Joe was a lovely guy, and everything to do with that, that was really good as far as I was concerned. Yeah. Did you tour, did you want to tour some more, like, or do something similar, like on a, on a road show, you know, and bring in different musicians? And have you, did you do that afterwards? Or Jeez, I've never considered doing that. No. <laughs> it was de- definitely a TV show to me. It seemed like a TV show. That's, and that's the way we did it. Could have had your own last waltz, you know, just bring in different musicians and. Ladies and gentlemen, Van Morrison. And <laughs> oh, yeah. Just, um, they all come. They all show up. Right. Yeah, sure. I don't know. I, I, when, you were, when you envisioned uh, Unplugged, did you seriously think about who you were going to get to do this? No, I didn't think about it at all. It was really like um, the people at MTV put together the people and they would say, how about this? You know, we'll try to do um, Michelle Shocked. And I said, okay, that'd be fine. That'd be good, yeah. <laughs> and they would get her, you know, because they were MTV, so they could get yeah. people. So. 
So as a songwriter who doesn't like to share co-writing credit, do you think you should have gotten a share of Unplugged? Or, you I don't know, know if, that's a, if that's a fair characterization. He didn't say he went, didn't want to share co-writing you know, writing credit. He said he doesn't necessarily want to collaborate as a co-writer. Well, you yeah, that's co- right. Exactly. All right. But you collaborate with MTV. Do you feel like you should have gotten a co-writing credit, so to speak, for, for that show? No, I didn't think so. Nah, nah, it wasn't. It wasn't that much to do. It would have been more if everybody would have just said, "Yeah, let's get into it. Let's do a song. What song should we do, Jules?" And I would have, "Oh yeah, let's do that song." And we would just do it. And that that was all. That was all it really was. It wasn't like a, there wasn't a lot of. I, I don't consider that to be writing. There wasn't any writing involved. There was just doing shows with people, and that was it. Was it was really fun? Believe me. But yeah. Uh, I didn't think of it as any more than fun. How great that you get to do something like that and just have it be fun. <laughs> yeah, that's what I liked about it. That's right. That's what I liked about it. And that's when, when MTV started getting real serious about it and going, we'll have one act on a show instead of two acts and as if that would be better or something. And I thought, no, it'd be better if there would be more stuff where people could get to get get together and you could see that we're getting together and we'd be in front of a live audience and we could do songs and that would be really fun that way. But um, it wasn't fun that they were really most interested in at MTV. They were interested in having a real, a solid show, which I didn't know anything about, you know? So they did it their way. That was fine. Well, I guess this was during the time of the mid 80s. You were creating some songs that got played on MTV. That's when you started hearing the phrase, we need a single, we need a single. As frustrating as that might seem, did you like that challenge of like, all right, maybe I, maybe I do need a single? Did you create any songs based on, I need to create a single? Geez, I don't think so. I think I just wrote them. I just wrote a bunch of songs and then picked the ones that were, that seemed like they were the most singly. And they just used them. And I was wrong a lot of times. <laughs> I don't mind admitting that I got it wrong. I was really a case of like writing a bunch of songs for a record. And when I, when I had done that, just, uh, recording them and not worrying about whether they would be a hit, a hit or a single or anything like that. No, I guess your, the answer to your question is <laughs> I didn't think about that. I like the description singly. It didn't sound singly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, whatever that is. Yeah. <laughs> You seem to be a guy who just likes to stay in his lane. I, I write the songs, I sing the songs, and, you know, whatever happens, happens. Is that? <laughs> yeah, I think you got that right. <laughs> you feel like that's the way you live your life? You're kind of a, a zen? <laughs> well, if, that, if, that, if that's considered zen, then yeah, I would, I would go for that. Easy. Easy. Yeah. Easy and slower. Slower. <laughs> and- yes.
to think no one could catch me there But now I'm slower uh, By the way, what uh, uh, so the, this cover, is that a ceiling? What are we looking at on that the cover of Slower? <laughs> <laughs> We're looking at, okay, my wife does beautiful paintings. She was using this paper for a while that was textured, and I thought it was really great, uh, the texture of the wall. And so we just used that as the background, the, the texture uh, that she was using to paint over usually. And... Um, I thought it worked out pretty good. <laughs> yeah. She charged you a lot for it? <laughs> no, she didn't. A lovely person. What? All right. So because we are an 80s podcast, we do um, we look at K-Rock and kind of go through the uh, what they played back in the day. Um, and that oh. leads us to your wife. Who was, oh, who was in the band. We talk about a lot. <laughs> yeah. We actually, it was kind of fun because we remembered Slow Children and Spr- oh. Spring and Fialta actually made it up to number 48 in 1982. And wow. it was kind of, it was kind of fun. We kind of went down the, the rabbit hole of Pal Shazar. Quite a, quite a talent in her own right. We actually posted the, the Waterboys album cover. And, oh. you know, cause like, wow, she did. So much, so much great work. And she's married to Jules Shear. Oh, wow. Look at this. Yeah, that must take a lot of work right there. That takes a lot of work. Being yeah. married to me, yeah. <laughs> so how is Pal? How is she doing? She's great. She just made an album on her own, and it sounds really great. It sounds really nice. And she's been doing a lot of paintings that are really, I think they're amazing. But that's me, you know. I just, <laughs> she just says, why don't you have a look at it? I said, can I look now? And she says, Give me half an hour. I said, okay, okay. So uh, I wait and I knock on the door. Hello. And uh, she shows it to me. And it's always a big surprise. And they look beautiful. They look, they're really amazing. Are you the same way with your songs? Like, can, can I hear the song? Can I hear the song? No, no, it's not ready yet. Let me, give me half an hour. I'm going to, I got to mix. I got to remix this. That's the way I would be. Yeah, yeah. You got it. That's before right. before that's, you show it to her. Right. It's got to be perfect before she... So that's good. You yeah. kind of inspire each other. It sounds like it's. A, I hope so. Yeah. And you've collaborated. Have you? You've collaborated musically. Uh, we have. Yeah, we have. You know, it's just like collaborating with anybody. It's it's interesting, but it's not really the thing that we're involved in. Uh, we're involved in in being there for each other in other ways. You know. So I don't think uh, writing together, which we've tried and stuff, you know, I don't know. She knows I would rather do it myself. I'm not sure uh, couples working together, you know, for the most part, I don't know that that's the most beneficial thing to a partnership. Probably not. Probably not. Well, you know, work for Sonny and Cher. Oh, or, or no, wait, it worked for, <laughs> oh, it worked for Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks. No, wait a second. No, no. All right. All right. Well, <laughs> maybe it doesn't work. Maybe it does. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you, you're doing in good. Any, not just the arts. Yeah. I think in, in, um, oh, yeah. probably many situations doesn't, isn't the best. Trust me. I try and build something from, uh, from Ikea with my wife and it, it doesn't, we try and collaborate to put it together and it doesn't work. <laughs> you'd rather do it yourself right yes thank you but or you'd rather, rather have her do it <laughs> she'd rather do it herself one of us but sometimes we're yeah. like well let me help you there like oh, all right here we go 
yeah, it's difficult, difficult but yeah but it's nice we should get when pal's album comes out maybe we can uh, we can talk to her about her album and slow children and and her artwork right. well, that'd too. be great she'd love to do that i'm sure <laughs> well anyway this is this has been a lot of fun i i, I like this uh, um thank you so much jules this is it's really nice yeah the album is slower by jules sheer about by the way you don't I don't think, is there a vinyl record available? You seem like a vinyl record guy, but it seemed, I went on Bandcamp and it was only CDs and, uh, and digital. CDs is what I'm into. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> what? Not into yeah. records. Not into records, really. Uh, CDs, I think, sound better. And Still, still CDs over vinyl. <laughs> yes. Yes, I would say so. It's just going through my ears. That's what I hear. It sounds better to me, so I use them. And it's good for me to use them because I make a lot of compilations where I take songs from different CDs and stick them together on one CD, and it's really easy to do with CDs. With records, it would be more difficult to do. So I, I enjoy it very much. I enjoy CDs. I love them. That's nice. Okay. Yeah, cassettes are back. Do you like cassette tapes? <laughs> No, no, I don't like cassettes. Okay. They don't sound good, you know. That's so, that's true. I don't uh, understand why their kids like it, but uh, you know, because they're small. I think that was the original reason why people liked them, right? Yeah, well, originally, but you know, in 2020, why would you want a cassette? I would ask the same question. All right, I would. I asked it back then, <laughs> uh, but I was having, you know, I was listening to them, but I wasn't liking it. But CDs, I do like very much. Yeah, very good. All right, so so listen to Jules on CD. That's the way to to hear the the pure sound. <laughs> or on Spotify, if you're you know for convenience purposes. That's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Spotify sounds pretty good though. It does sound pretty good. But CDs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, those are the parting words. <laughs> CDs. Okay. But uh, so thank you so much. It's, uh, this is wonderful. Uh, again, it's great to hear your voice. Uh, hear those songs and you, you know just been keep writing love to it know that you're still making music yeah still still good <laughs> yeah, stuff I, you know i can't seem to stop i don't know i i keep doing it so i i guess i i will continue to keep doing it you should until they lay me down yeah. <laughs> in many 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 yeah. years to come well thank you yeah <laughs> okay, and we great. look forward to hearing more from you yeah okay good. all right all right take care thank, thank you, you. Bye. bye jules bye. so there you go our talk with jules shear woodstock native he does it all in woodstock now that's where he is it's kind of cool he's he's got kind of a chill vibe to him <laughs> did you feel that did you feel the chill vibe he did he felt totally totally mellow but funny to learn that he has no real interest in woodstock you're right. Well, I have Woodstock more interest in Woodstock the city, Woodstock yeah. the town, but not Woodstock the event. The folklore, the folklore behind all of uh, everything that went on there. But uh, yeah, it was nice to to hear those stories. Make sure you give a listen to "Slower" by Jewel Shear. It's his new record. Yeah, you can hear it on Spotify, but you can also buy the CD. That's right. As the way Jules prefers, listen on CD. You can get the album off of Bandcamp. Thank you for listening to the What Differences It Made podcast. It was really fun to have Jules Shear on the show. Yes. Please go to our website. We've got some giveaways going on right now. Go to uh, whatdifferencesitmakepodcast.com and uh, sign up. There's a link for giveaways in all of December. Look for it. And then where else can you find us, Holly? You can find us on all social media platforms. WDDIM Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And What Differences It Made Podcast on Facebook. Yeah. And 
check out our YouTube channel. Hey, you can see some behind the scenes stuff. And here's a fun fact. We are a proud member of the Pantheon podcast family. So that is a fun fact. It is. So anyway, shout out to Pantheon. Until next week, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.